Uh, do you reckon Paul's a bit over the top? So look, look what he says. Is he really fed income? He, he wants to know Christ and he wants to put everything on the line to know Christ. He wants Christ's gospel to be proclaimed and he wants to put everything on the line to proclaim the gospel. Let's watch together as someone else echoes the words of Paul. In 1987, in March 7 to 12, 100 churches in Zaria City were burned down and over 300 Christian homes and businesses, cars and a couple of people killed and destroyed. I was the leader then of the Christian Association Zaria chapter and the Lord asked me to tell the people to do nothing and I wrote that letter it was circulated and the Christians watched as their businesses were being destroyed homes killed in 2010 I was in Joss as Bishop to the date 7th to the 12th of March three villages in the near outskirts of Joss Muslims massacred men, women and children and the church leaders, we were all convinced to beg the villagers and those that survived and the entire Christian community to do nothing. They cried until their voices were dried up, tears dried up and there was nothing more to cry and they just watched. In 2006, over 40 people came to my house to kill me. It turned out I postponed my return home and they met my wife. They did unspeakable things to her, beat her, left her half dead and totally blind. Through the mercy of God, she recovered. Six months later in the USA, she came back. Exactly one year later, they came back again. This time they met me at home. Over 30 people came, broke down the house, they had their time, broke down the back door, came in and took me out to kill me. They later on changed their minds and said they would kill me in my bedroom. I pleaded with them to pray and they allowed me to pray. As I prostrated before the Lord, about two minutes later my wife was holding my hands. Five minutes later my son came in and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, daddy, they've gone. What chased them away, what they saw, what they didn't see, only eternity will reveal. Now friends, I'm not saying this to play down on those who have died. I've lost a classmate who was a pastor in Kaduna, he was roasted in his church. I've lost colleagues, schoolmates and brothers and sisters who've been slaughtered for the faith. Why I'm alive, I don't know. But one thing I know, until my time is up, and I know I will die someday, blood crash, air crash, car crash, whatever crash, until that day, I have a gospel to proclaim. I have a gospel worth living for, and I have a gospel worth dying for. Amen. Uh, some of you might know that was Ben Kawashi. Uh, it was a number of years ago. He spoke at an ev a conference on evangelism. He's now the chair of GAFCON, uh, but he's also dying. Apart from old age, he's dying from cancer. Is Ben a bit over the top? 
he's been just whipped up in the emotion of the time. You know, you go to a conference and you get to speak. Has Ben actually probably just overreacted to what it means to follow Jesus? Or maybe Ben is just doing what African Christians have to do. That's not the way that we live as cultured followers of Jesus in a civilised and tolerant democracy. If you want to know more of Ben's life, um, this he's got a slightly older version of Ben on the front cover. You won't be able to see that. Neither bomb nor bullet worthwhile reading. Uh, it's worthwhile reading uh, testimonies and of people who take discipleship of Jesus seriously. And that's the topic of Luke chapter 9. You know, it starts with Jesus sending out his disciples on mission and ends, as we'll see next week, with a reminder that following Jesus is not a walk in the park. The whole chapter is about discipleship. And can I suggest to us that what Ben is speaking about has more to do with true discipleship, and let me generalise here, than most Western Christians understand true discipleship. In other words, as we look at God's word this morning, we should be surprised if we are not challenged. Maybe, let me put it this way, we should be concerned if we're not challenged. And the concern should be, that our hearts do not want to really follow Jesus. Now, before we unpack Luke chapter 9, let me clarify what I mean when I speak of true discipleship. I do not mean that true discipleship is reflected in the fact that a man gets rather emotional as he's speaking. Ben was emotional. That's Ben's character. You can have a flatline character and still be a true disciple. I do not mean that true discipleship is all about having a testimony, which is amazing. You know, something like, I almost got killed for following Jesus and God rescued me miraculously. That's not what I mean when I talk about true discipleship. True discipleship, it doesn't mean you've got to dress in a particular way or come from a particular continent. True discipleship requires you and I to be people who live for Jesus. And we live distinctively different from the culture that we find ourselves in, which is not Christian. And we live distinctly from our culture in every area of our life, even if it costs us. That's what true discipleship looks like. It's big, isn't it? True discipleship is not being here regularly each Sunday. Or mind you, you should. But that's not true discipleship. True discipleship is living distinctly for Jesus in every area of our lives. So as we look at this topic this morning, we should be challenged. We're going to see with clarity why we should be like that. 
Why should we take following Jesus as seriously as Ben did? Or does? He's not dead yet. We're going to see that Jesus corrects wrong understandings about who he is. We're going to be challenged. With that in mind, let's pray, shall we? Uh, Lord, I pray that this morning your word will speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray that your word and your spirit will do its work in our lives. We pray, Lord God, that we will not be distracted. And most importantly, Lord God, we pray that as we hear your word, it will not flow in one ear and out the other. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. It would be really helpful for you to have a Bible open. Uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 18, we're going to be looking through to verse 36. In verse 18, and again a little later in this, in our reading that we had, there are some really pivotal moments that take place in the mission of Jesus and the life of his disciples. Jesus asked the disciples two questions. Who do the crowd say I am? And who do you say I am? Now, Jesus has not just had an identity crisis or developed amnesia. He's not asking, who would you like me to be? Which is part of our Western culture, thinking we could choose your own adventure when it comes to deciding who Jesus might be. Jesus is not allowing that to be an option for us, is he? Jesus is asking, who do you understand me to be? Because unless we get that right, then discipleship will never happen. Unless we understand who Jesus is, we'll give up following him at every opportunity. Peter's answer, verse 20, You are God's Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? I think we might have ticked that box before we got here this morning. And his answer's right. That's good. But he doesn't understand the implications of that, can I point out. Uh, Later on, in the second part of the reading, in in verse uh, 33, Peter refers to Jesus as just his master. And he was asleep when something big and important was happening. If he'd really understood who Jesus was as the Messiah, you would think adrenaline would be pumping through his veins. And now I think it's actually quite good that Peter doesn't fully understand the implications of what he's just said. Uh, Why do I think that's good? I think we're no different to Peter, actually. Uh, Because we're in the process of fully discovering the implications of what it means to follow Jesus and who he is and what his claim on our lives are. You could be starting right from the word go thinking, I don't even know whether Jesus is real. And you can ask questions and discover who he is. Or you might have been a follower of Jesus for 200 years and you are still discovering the implications of what it means to follow Jesus. I think it's good that Peter doesn't make this bold pronouncement and then be almost godlike in his obedience. Peter's just like us, and that is good. 
This is not a choose your own adventure of what you'd like Jesus to be. But the more we discover the implications of Jesus being who he is, the more we are challenged to be like Ben, the bloke in the video. Because when you understand who Jesus is, you will be prepared to follow Jesus even if it costs you everything. So that's the first pivotal moment. Jesus makes sure that they understand who he is. This is the second one. It happens eight days after the first one. They're up a mountain. And Jesus is meeting with a bloke called Elijah and a bloke called Moses. And they're discussing Jesus' departure. And let me tell you, it's really easy to get sidetracked here and think, why Moses and why Elijah? Again, in a way, you can ask those questions, but you can get sidetracked because you're not told the answer. You'll just have to make up your own. Or you might try to get sidetracked by trying to find which mountain it was that they climbed up. Well, who gives a hoot? I'm pretty certain it wasn't Mount Anstey just behind us. Here's the point of what happens up whatever mountain it is. Peter and James and John hear a voice from heaven. God the Father confirming who Jesus is. He is not just the Messiah. He is God's son. He's been chosen by God. And then they are told, listen to him. And let me make the point again. If you and I, if Peter and James and John are going to take that instruction seriously, we need to be firmly grounded on who Jesus is. And in between those two very clear announcements of who Jesus is, we have a challenge, a word from God. We have God's word that challenges us greatly about whether we really are going to listen to him. Theophilus needs to know who Jesus is if he's going to follow Jesus. And you and I need to know who Jesus is. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Luke chapter 9 has been on that theme all the way through. And in verse 21, sandwiched in between those two pivotal moments, let me tell you, I think Jesus says three things that challenge us as God's people today massively. Before he says those three things, he just corrects something that's happening in the life of the disciples, which may not be happening in our life. You see, when Jesus turned up, they thought the Messiah was going to be a mighty king that would overthrow the Romans and establish the Jewish nation physically on earth for all eternity. And Jesus just tweaks their understanding about what he's there for. You see, they've got a misunderstanding of what it means to be a Messiah. And Jesus says that, yes, I am the Messiah. And the language he then goes on, he says, I, the Son of Man, must suffer many things, be rejected. Be rejected by the very people you would expect to acknowledge him, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then... The Messiah who will reign forever is going to die. And then the Messiah who will reign forever is going to rise again. Now, it's not unsurprising 
that the initial hearers of Jesus, Peter and James and John here, and the disciples altogether, and us would be no different, they just don't fathom how the Messiah is going to die and reign forever. You can understand how monumentally outside their expectations that is. They will hear at least three times from Jesus that this is what's going to happen. And yet the penny really doesn't drop until they meet the risen Lord Jesus. Now, they're not stupid. They're just like us. It is such a big thing to get your head around. It is so easy for us looking back on the event. For them, it is hard to imagine how the Son of God would die and be risen and and rise to life. So Jesus points out maybe something we haven't wrestled with, but something certainly the disciples are wrestling with, what it really means to be the Messiah. And then he challenges all of us. Verse 23, if you're going to follow me, which is what Jesus is calling us to do, then you will require to deny yourself. And I think that's where the greatest, one of the greatest challenges from this passage hits us. Now, following Jesus is not about living your best life now. You know, as we've celebrated... Uh, Paul and Priya's desire to bring Reuben up to know and love and serve Jesus. That is not about providing him with all of life's opportunities. He doesn't need guitar lessons and saxophone lessons. He doesn't need to play football for Australia. He doesn't need to do everything that culturally is pressured on us. He just needs to be someone who follows Jesus. What does it mean to live your best life now? Well, we're not even we're not supposed to. If we're going to follow Jesus. We're not supposed to be people who are self-interested, for all about ourselves, are we? Self-obsessed, self-indulgent. All of those things challenge us hugely, don't they? Because we live in a culture that says it's all about me, or for you, it's all about you. And Jesus says, no, no, not at all. That is huge. If you and I don't understand how counterculture, culturally, we are called to live as disciples of Jesus when we deny ourselves, then we have not understood what it means. We live in a culture consumed by individualism and the self. How do you find the challenge if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus? How do you find that challenge to deny yourself? And I don't mean just giving up chocolate for Lent or some piece of rubbish like that. That's a big call, isn't it? All of your plans for yourself and my plans for myself, all of the things that I want to do need to now go through a filter that says, what does God want me to be doing? Well, we haven't got to that bit yet. We'll get to that in a moment. It starts with putting Jesus first. That's what God wants out of anyone who is a disciple. What does it mean for you to deny yourself? Love others before yourself. Love others under God with God's definition of love, not our society's definition of love. Not to be selfish. Not to exploit others. Put that to death. Not the people you're exploiting. 
but your desire to, to feed off others. And under God, consider their needs above your own. We've read that in Philippians 2 in the last two weeks. And if you and I have not been challenged by that, well, we've fallen into the trap of just hearing the word of God and letting it flow out the other ear. I think that's a huge call. And don't water it down and gloss over it. It's not saying I'm going to put someone else first just so I look good on Sunday morning, but Monday morning, well, as I drive to work, it's all about me and won't the other people on the road or wherever it is I'm going know all about that. Now, don't hear me saying that your obedience to God's word earns you a spot in heaven. Salvation is 100% by grace. It's a gift given to you by God because he loves you. You and I do not deserve it. 100% gift. None of us can boast about it. It's a 100% gift. You do not get to heaven by doing good things or by getting baptised or by coming to church. Salvation is 100% a gift. And yet if you are a follower of Jesus... A follower means that you will do what Jesus wants. You see, the gift of salvation that we have been given leads to a life that is transformed by the gospel in obedience to Jesus. We live in a culture where we can turn up to God on, turn up to church on Sunday morning and look no different by Monday morning to everyone else around us. Have you and I fallen into that trap? You can see how challenging this word is, isn't you? Isn't it? Do you take seriously the call to deny yourself? Are you challenged by that? It's a massive challenge to me how I need to reapproach life differently to what I would normally want to do because Jesus has saved me well, that's the first of the three things that Jesus says if you want to walk out now please feel free to do so if you want to switch off feel free to do so you don't have to listen to this tribe but let me tell you if you're a follower of Jesus you need to take it seriously the third thing Jesus says, sorry, the, the, the second thing Jesus says, the third thing I'm going to raise, is that if you want to follow Jesus, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. Now, we have twisted that phrase. So before we ask the question of what it means to take up our cross, I want to address what it does not mean. Because we use the phrase, I have a cross to bear. You know, I've got an ingrowing toenail. Or my wife is, oh, I better not say this, had I? Um, my wife might have given me grief. Or I'm in a terrible marriage. Or my boss at church is stressed out and therefore that's my cross to bear. My family are a bunch of idiots. That's my cross to bear. Sorry for my family if you happen to be watching. But it's true. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah, those things will be terrible. Having a tough family, having a terrible boss, having a stressful marriage are terrible things that need us to work on 
but they are not what is being referred to here as my cross to bear. You see, when Jesus is talking about taking up my cross daily, he's talking about when you deny yourselves and follow him, the thing he's about to say, it will not always work out pretty for you. To follow Jesus, you will suffer. That's what he's referring to. It won't necessarily happen every day, but each day your decision to deny yourselves and follow Jesus will cost you. So don't think you can climb the corporate ladder in your workforce the way that everyone else is doing so and still be obedient to what Jesus says. Don't think that you can run your families the way that everyone else is doing and still be obedient to what Jesus says. When you follow Jesus, you should expect things to be tough. It might not happen all the time. Sometimes followers of Jesus get sacked from running the local football club. Don't be surprised. That's part and parcel for what you and I should expect if we're going to follow Jesus. Don't be fearful. You are only fearful in the face of opposition if you fail to understand who Jesus is. Jesus says it is normal to face persecution. Daily, take up your cross. What is your and my potential crosses? That is, what are the things that might lead us to suffer because we follow Jesus? They'll be different for all of us, won't they? It could be that you are given a hard time by your wider family because you came here this morning rather than went to the family barbecue. Well, it rained anyhow, so it doesn't matter. No, is following Jesus and meeting with his people, one of the things we're told to do, is that more important than your family barbecue? Of course your non-Christian family is going to think it is. Why not arrive late? That's the way it means. That's what it means to take up our cross daily. Your work colleagues, your boss, if they oppose what you stand for as a Christian, it may be hard for you. That's what it means to take up your cross daily. Can I warn us just as we talk about this topic? You know, sometimes Christians are idiots and they do things that deserve a clip around the ear in a nice, loving, godly way. So if you suffer for your belief, when you are disobeying what God's word says, don't be surprised. Jesus sorry, is addressed in God's word in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you suffer because you're doing unwise things or ungodly things, then stop doing unwise or ungodly things. Taking up your cross daily is about obedience to Jesus and suffering. If you suffer for sharing the gospel because you're screaming at people as they walk down Rundle Mall, well, read 1 Peter 3, verse 15, where it tells you to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. Being an obnoxious idiot deserves where you get what you deserve. 
Taking up your cross daily is about suffering when you are obedient to Jesus. There's a lot more I could say on that, I'm sure. Maybe it's something you could yarn about over morning tea. But let's look at the last thing Jesus calls us to do, to follow him. Now, you can't actually choose to do one or the other of these things. They go together. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him are all part and parcel of true discipleship. So what does this mean? Well, it seems pretty obvious that when God has rescued you from sin, he's paid the debt of your sin and wiped away the guilt of your sin, that the logical consequence is that if you accept his gift is to follow him, isn't it? Because that's what discipleship is all about, walking with Jesus, following him, not choosing the bits you like and choosing the bits you don't like. Uh, Being a Christian is far more than just a free ticket to heaven, isn't it? Yes, he did pay away, pay the guilt. He did pay the debt of your sin. It is a free gift given, free gift given. But Jesus expects anyone who grasps hold of his gift to walk with him, to follow, to disciple with him. As a result of the salvation that he's won for you, allow Jesus' words to transform your lives. As Jesus, as God the Father said on the mountain. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. That's what discipleship is all about, isn't it? It's not a choose your own adventure. It is not, I'll I'll, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Jesus must have got that bit wrong. There is so much we can end up following, isn't there? Every day of every week, I am sure you are just like me, and there is opportunity to follow something else or someone else other than Jesus. There are so many different worldviews presented to us and people who are followers of Jesus follow Jesus only. Listen to Jesus' words and heed his words. Now, if you're anything like me, you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, so I'm going to, put, I'm going to press the pause button there. Uh, We're going to come back to this passage again next week, or not the same passage, the next bit on. But I'm going to leave us with a couple of questions that if we had more time, I might have addressed. In Luke chapter 9, verse 21, Jesus says these funny things. Just after they've announced that he's the Messiah, he says, don't tell anyone. And here's my question, why? Why does Jesus say, don't tell anyone? And maybe you could just ask another question on that one. I didn't write it down. What does he say by the end of the gospel? That's a bit of a hint. Luke chapter 9 verse 27 though is another question. Jesus says, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And let me tell you, Christians have come out with a whole pile of weird understandings about what this might mean. Normally they've had to read in their own agendas to get their their understanding. But I suggest you go to Luke 17. So the question is here, what is Jesus saying? when he says that and go to Luke 17 verse 20 and 21 and that will help you in your answer why don't I pray our loving heavenly father uh, your word should have spoken to our hearts clearly this morning Lord help us not to keep falling into the trap of having half-hearted discipleship which is no discipleship at all Help us to hear your word and heed your word 
to be people who are prepared to deny ourselves, to seek your will in our lives, not ours. Help us to be people who take up our cross daily. Help us to be people who seek your will in our lives every day, even if it costs. Help us to be people who follow you and who don't just give lip service to the fact that we are followers of you. And we ask this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.